and welcome to the Rethinking Leadership podcast series. I'm Jude Jennison, host of this podcast and founder of Leaders by Nature, a leadership and team development company. I believe that leadership is about who we are being as much as what we're doing and that when we combine our brilliant minds with the emotional engagement of the heart, we can solve all of the world's problems. In this podcast, I interview leaders on their experiences of disruptive change and ask them how leaders can position themselves for the future of business. Find out what this week's leader has to say. I kick the Rethinking Leadership podcast off this week with Elizabeth Cronin, who is the director of the New York State Office of Victim Services. Elizabeth was appointed in 2013 by Governor Andrew M. Cuomo. She's had the most astonishing legal career, specialising in the prosecution of domestic violence, child abuse, elder abuse and sex crimes, and she's worked closely with crime victims. She continues her work now, leading the organisation in New York who support victims of crime. As such, she applies her own knowledge of people and human behaviour to lead her team. And I caught up with her this week to find out how she's been doing. Elizabeth was the first person I interviewed for my previous podcast, Leading Through Uncertainty, so it seems fitting that she kicks off this new podcast, Rethinking Leadership. Welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you for joining me again. And it's been over two years since we last spoke, and I recorded an interview with you when I was preparing for my first book, well, my second book, Leading Through Uncertainty. So tell me uh, what's been going on in the last couple of years and particularly the last few months with the global pandemic that is the COVID-19. Yeah, thanks so much for having me again. Yeah, I, I was going to ask you, gee, what's new? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, wow. Uh, I don't know that anyone uh, could have predicted the predicament that we all find ourselves in. Um, you know, we were really fortunate since you and I talked that um, we had gotten over the last five years really significant um, funding from the federal government. And we have been doing just amazing work in the field of crime victim services and um, funding all kinds of programs throughout the state of New York and really coming up with innovative, creative ways to assist crime victims. Um, but at the same time, we are also doing a lot of strategic planning and a lot of thinking about problems that could arise. I mean, one of them is that the um, federal funding was being reduced, and so we knew that was coming. And a lot of our focus has been preparing ourselves, but more importantly, preparing our uh, funded programs for how to deal with that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, one of the hallmarks, I think, of, of how we handle things at my agency um, is that we are transparent with our staff and with our funded programs, and we don't want to surprise anyone. So we made sure that they have been informed and have as much information as we have, basically, about what was happening on that end, you know, with the funding. And then when this whole um, situation dropped, we have continued to do the same thing. And we've been 
and you know we can talk about it more but um, we've really been preparing them for um, handling this health crisis and also you know helping them negotiate through it with support and training so you were already planning for a pandemic before it hit is that right well, I can't say that we were planning for a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, we were pl- we've always been planning for um, big events. So, you know, being New York, we lived through 9-11, of course, and a lot of other mass casualty events. I mean, that's sort of been our focus is preparing um, our staff and our programs for what to do if there's a, uh, a mass casualty event. And that's, you know, sort of where our expertise would come into play. Mm -hmm. Um, But we have been working, I have to say that New York State has really done an outstanding job in working collaboratively with across all agencies um, to make sure that we are all prepared for anything. So, you know, we've had terrible hurricanes, which we're not used to here. Um, as much as maybe, you know, Florida or um, another Gulf Coast state. And, but we've had them. And so um, we have been part of a state planning um, initiative over the last couple of years that's really diving deep into making sure that we are all prepared to handle everything. Because, you know, even if we're not responding to a, um, a weather event per se. Um, it may affect our ability or the ability of our programs to get services out. So if your building is flooded, you know, what's going to happen? Are you going to be able to offer services? Are we going to have to assist you in, um, you know, making sure that services get shifted to someplace else or, you know, those kinds of things. So, um, we've been thinking really broadly about disaster. Uh, we actually partner with the New York State um, uh, State University of New York at New Paltz has an Institute for Disaster Mental Health. And we've been working with them really closely over the last few years um, on developing programming and training. Um, so we were prepared for this in a sense, um, but I don't know that, you know, we were thinking directly about a pandemic, but the um, preparation that we have done suited the situation and we were able to um, really shift our staff, our resources, everything um, to a remote work situation um, that's been very successful. Mm-hmm. So how do, how do you prepare for a disaster? Well, you assume it's going to happen. And so what I have done is I've gone all over the state talking with our funded programs. So we have a lot of uh, crime victim coalitions that are organized by region. And we also have an advisory council. And so I bring it up quite frequently with them as to what we're doing, what we think they should do. Um, We sent Uh, letters out to all the local office of emergency management um, you know that's that's countywide and um, alerted them that you know we're available to assist if there's a mass event that they have all these um, victim assistance programs throughout their county that should be part of their emergency planning 
Uh, we've worked with our Department of um, Homeland Security and Office of Emergency Management. Um, so we're always thinking about it. And, you know, we developed what we call go kits which are basically suitcases that are filled with the things that we would need to deploy um, very quickly. And it has all the you know, technology and, and forms and everything that we would need to hit the ground running um, if we need to be out in the field. And we have, we have had to use that. So um, you know, we train our staff and, and staff have the equipment that they need. So it's really just preparation. Mm. And, assuming that it's going to happen i mean you know it's it sounds trite but what we tell programs is it's not if it's when mm -hmm. and we don't know what that looks like you know um and even just in my field um you can't always assume that something that looks like an accident isn't going to be a criminal event so for example there was a terrible train accident um here a few years ago where a car um, drove onto the tracks and the train hit it and um, there was a lot of, of um, casualties as a result of it and it you know at first glance you think well it's just an accident but you know we notified people in charge that if it ends up being a criminal event if the person who drove onto the tracks would have been um, charged with a crime then that's something that my agency could be involved with so you know, we need to be thinking that way and we need to be thinking collaboratively. Mm. And my guess is that communication is absolutely critical, isn't it? Both in the yes. preparation and in the, in the you know, the realization of it as well. So Yeah, I, I think that's probably the number one thing. Um, I used the word transparency before and part of that is communication that um, people are really tough and resilient as long as they know what's going on. Mm -hmm. And I think where you develop problems um, is when people feel that you're holding back information, that you're not being honest with them. Um, you know, they're all adults and they can take information in and process it as they will. Um, and it's really not up to us to filter difficult conversations, you know, they, they deserve to have the truth and to understand and make decisions accordingly. Yeah, and transparency is a tricky one, isn't it? I mean, I, I talk to clients all the time around the importance of transparency and, and particularly when there's a, a lot of uncertainty or there's a crisis that you're leading your way through is that you don't have all of the information to hand. And one of the things that I get asked a lot is, how what, what should i do when i'm being asked and i don't have the answers and I that's what you tell them be honest <laughs> that you don't have the yeah. answers don't don't try and make it up and right. don't try and fudge your way through it because people see through that and then trust gets eroded that is the number one problem is you never want to lose the trust of you know for me it's my staff or it's you know our funded programs mm -hmm. and um we have gotten a lot of accolades from both of those um, sections, sectors about our transparency. And I am really upfront when I don't know something and say, I don't know, but I'm going to find out. Or I don't know, and as soon as I do, I will let you know. And I do. I mean, we, I have a, a Zoom call or a WebEx call with my staff, all, the whole office, every two weeks. Um, you know, in the beginning, 
I was disseminating a lot of information. Um, New York is in a pretty good place right now, thankfully, because we behaved ourselves and we did what was suggested to us by the health experts. So um, we are in a much better place than we were two months ago. So I don't have as much information to um, impart, but I also want to stay connected to them because most of our staff are still working remotely. And, um, you know, I, I don't want to lose that connection with them. And um, so I do that call every Friday. I send an email out, which in the beginning started as a way of giving them constant information. And, you know, I would send funny cartoons and then we started attaching pictures of our family and mostly our pets. Um, and I know how you feel about animals and so do we. And so we have everything from dogs and cats to rabbits and birds and a pig, a pet pig. And people loved it. And they love seeing where staff live. And, you know, we've started taking pictures of our gardens. And it's just really developed um, a, a way of staying connected to each other um, and kind of getting to know each other in a really different way. And, each email still has a lot of information and when it's something that is critical for them, I'll put it in yellow highlighter. Um, but a lot of it too is just giving some fun facts. Like, you know, we just had our July 4th uh, weekend and, you know, some fun facts about July 4th and, um, you know, a little historical what happened this day in and, and just to kind of stay engaged. Mm -hmm. So how, how have the team responded? How have they navigated the last, I don't know, 15, 16 weeks? Much better than I expected. Um, we did not have a telework policy. Um, we have been working on it. And, um, you know, I'm a bit of the old school. Um, I've been around a while. And so I was, you know, we, we have, um, more flexible work hours and, and flex time and that sort of thing. Um, but I was a little hesitant, to be honest, um, to utilize teleworking. And um, I have seen it do wonderful things and I've seen it really misused. And so I, I just couldn't wrap my head really around what I wanted to do with it. So we've been looking at it and we, um, but of course our hands were forced. Now the good thing is that because we've been practicing for um, a mass casualty, um, staff are used to having the tools that they need to operate. And um, so those who don't have equipment at home, we were able to get them equipment. Um, and, you know, we saw this coming. I mean, it wasn't that, you know, we were all like, oh my God, one day we're, we're not gonna come to work. I mean, we saw it coming, we talked about it, and um, we knew that something was gonna happen. I don't think anybody thought we'd be out this long. Mm -hmm. um, but honestly, it's ended up working out really well. Um, they respect that we respect them and that their work, is they're still doing their work. I mean, we have some things, you know, that have to get done in the office and people were willing to go in, you know, on, on very uh, careful schedules mm -hmm. to, you know, the mail and to get checks out. And, and um, you know, we our payments still have to go out to our programs. Victims still need to get 
reimbursed. And people really rose to the occasion. And we all had plants in the office, so people moved them into our kitchen area and they've been watering them. They have a schedule and um, so nobody had to panic about their plants, and uh, which was really, I was really worried about it. I, I don't live close to where my office is and I was gonna go up there just to water my plants. And um, I think they like the fact that um, they're able to also address the other stressors in their life. So a lot of my staff have young children and schools closed. Mm. And, you know, we recognized this is gonna be really hard for them. Um, you know, I have a staff member who has three small children in an apartment in New York City, um, and she's gotta be homeschooling them while still working. Yeah. And she's doing it, you know, because we really backed off on pushing, you know, you gotta work nine to five. It was like, just get the work done, you know, don't worry about it, and, and they have. And so I think without the added pressure of us, you know, saying you have to be available this time, um, they were able to kind of relax into it. And um, for introverts, they really like this. My sister yeah. told me yesterday that this has been like an awesome time for her because she's a real introvert <laughs> and likes being home. Um, so for a lot of people, I think the distraction of being at work or the personality issues that have come up at work aren't there anymore. And so um, we have really been able to, um, to get everything done. We are not behind at all. Right. And of course, there's the saving time on commuting as well, which a lot of people have saved a lot of time. And the expense, mm, you know, yeah. it's, and for some people, they have to drive to a parking lot, get on a bus to come into Albany. Um, it's very time consuming and that's very stressful. And like when you have to get out of work to get to make the bus. And um, so we're actually, I have found being home during this time, I've gone up a few times, but I'm mostly working remotely. Um, I'm working far harder <laughs> because I'm not distracted. And, you know, I'm at my computer and I'm getting the work done because I don't have people coming in and, um, you know, it's, uh, I miss that part of it. I think when yeah. you're, when you're an extrovert or when you're someone who really gets a lot of energy from being around other people, it, it was a struggle. The first month or so was a struggle for me. Mm. Yeah, um, me, me too. I definitely found that I, uh, you know, I, I had, cause people said to me, oh, it must be lovely to lovely for you because you've got horses and you can just go and sit up in, you know, with the field in the field with the horses. And I was like, well, Firstly, I haven't actually got the time to do that because right. I'm scurrying around trying to keep my business alive <laughs> and running yeah. online, running online masterclasses. And secondly, I'm crave I was craving being around people because I'm such an extrovert and such a people person. Me so. too. I mean, we did, you know, the Zoom calls and everything else. I do I was meeting with my executive staff every day on a WebEx call. And then, you know, as things sort of started to calm down. Um, so, I mean, we'd be meeting on a WebEx call. The governor was doing a presentation every single day. So we were on that. Um, so it was constant interaction this way, um, which was good and had its drawbacks, but um, we were able to really keep things moving. I, I just, I can't even imagine this situation 
30 years ago no. um, before technology, how it just, I don't know how everything wouldn't shut down mm. um, because, you know, and for us, I mean, it's, we have two different offices and, um, you know, we have an office in the city and um, people can't, they didn't want to get on public transportation. And, um, and I think one of the other things that um, when the, they started to relax the restrictions and things began to reopen, um, they encouraged people to continue to telework. And, um, you know, our staff was very concerned and I kept hearing the rumors and that's why I keep having these calls to just say, you know, I would tell you if I was going to make you come back. And um, so I, they've learned to trust that, you know, that mm -hmm. we will do that. But, um, you know, some agencies are making people come back. And, um, you know, our view is if we can keep you teleworking, if there aren't duties that you need to be doing in the office, um, then stay right where you are. And for parents yeah. whose summer camp has been canceled, they're caring for elderly relatives, you know, it would be impossible um, to function otherwise. So I think they appreciate that we're being so flexible. And it's interesting how, how quickly we adapt to working remotely, working in a completely different way. And I was talking to somebody yesterday and they said that they're in their office in a, in a big organization, they've been talking for three years about remote working. And right suddenly like that they're just they're remote working and and, and it worked and it worked and it worked on day one and and so it's quite fascinating how sometimes we resist change because we think we're afraid of what might happen and yet when when we're in a crisis and we have to navigate it we're actually very good at it I think that's such a great point because as I said, you know, I was resistant to it because I had had some negative experiences with it. And, um, and then when, when you're forced to, to do it, um, people, you know, for the most part have ridden, risen to the occasion. Mm. And, um, you know, we said to them in the beginning, if this works, during this time, this is good for you mm. in the long run. And so they've taken that to heart. And, um, you know, it, in, in one way, of course, it's hard to measure because a lot of things are still closed down. So um, you're, the distractions of every day, um, you know, are not there yet. Yeah. But, um, you know, one of the, the things I think, too, is that... Um, we have, you know, for our funded programs, um, they were very worried about money and stuff because as you can imagine, um, you know, they use a lot of volunteers. Well, you can't have a volunteer come in and um, local fundraising, all their galas and all the ways that they do local fundraising just disappeared. Um, and now because of all the expense of handling the pandemic that they are not, you know, the counties and the local governments where they get other funds are drying up. And so there's been real anxiety um, in the field about this. And we recognize that. So we were able to reassure them that the money that we have allotted to them will continue. They're, they have three-year contracts that will continue. But we've also tried to develop a whole series of other support systems. So. Um, 
we developed a FAQ for the advocates. We call them VAPs, victim assistance providers. Um, we did a whole FAQ and asked them for all the questions they have, and we made it into a living document. Um, we developed a, a tool for them called VAP Connect, where they can go to this website and connect with each other and answer, ask questions, and we can, you know, provide information. Um, we completely retooled our training component. Um, we went completely webinar-based, and we've contracted with two different contractors. One is the um, Institute for Mental Health Disaster, and then a separate one. And we reconfigured like what we were offering. So a lot of it was resilience, sustainability, because we know these programs are going to be facing, you know, economic hardship. So how do you sustain your programs um, after this? Mm -hmm. um, how do you do remote work with employees when you've never done it before? How do you get back to the office? You know, um, how do you deal with stress? I mean, all these different kinds of offerings that, um, I, I have to, my team was just amazing in being able to come up with this whole different series, um, kind of shifted on a dime to say, wow, we know that you guys are anxious and need some kind of um, training that speaks to exactly what you're going through at this time. And so um, we've had more people attend these than we ever had. Wow. Um, and realize that, oh, webinar training really works because people who can't afford to or want to go um, or, you know, can't take the time off, they're all sitting through these webinars. We've had over 2,000 people um, attend, so we're, we're really excited about that, and that's a lesson that we learned is, uh, mm -hmm. oh, we have to do things differently, you know. Yeah. So what's the, what's the mood been like in New York in the last four months? Well, it was, you know, in the beginning, um, the beginning of March, we all knew this was happening. Um, and, but I don't think people were quite, you know, we were washing our hands a lot. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, even though we thought we should be wearing masks, we were being told we didn't need to. Um, and there was a lot of unsettled feelings. Um, and so, you know, we really started to plan, okay, what are we going to do here? And um, so we started talking to the staff right away. And, and um, the, I would say, you know, it was so bad here in April. Um, so, you know, we're um, we, as I said, we have an office in New York City. And, um, you know, New York City was just battered and um you know for i live in um outside of new york city and we know a lot of people that got sick and we know people who died and it was very upsetting and scary and i think in the beginning you know you were afraid to go out afraid to go to the grocery store there were lines you know you couldn't buy toilet paper of all things <laughs> i don't know if it was the same over there but yeah it was the um, same for us yeah, paper products, and you couldn't buy flour because people were baking like crazy. So, yeah. and there was a lot of eating, a lot of overeating, and um, just like all the stress behaviors mm. um, everybody was having. And it was very frustrating because you would see the rest of the country 
who was not affected yet, sort of poo-pooing this thing like, oh, well, that's New York, you know, too bad. Um, and it was terrifying. And knowing people, my next door neighbor is a paramedic in the city. And, you know, he was describing what he was seeing. And it, it's just, it was very, very scary. And I think that having work to do was really a blessing um, because we were so busy trying to respond to it that you didn't have as much time to kind of focus on the fear factor. You know, you were just doing your job, doing your job. Um, and like through April and, and May was just awful, just awful, really scary. And, um, and then it, you know, as, as we've started to move through the phases of reopening, I, I have to say, I think the governor's office did an amazing job in transparency and information. Uh, he had people all over the world watching him because he was a calm figure and, um, and we had a plan, you know, and I was on a call every single day at 8am with all the state agencies every day for months and months and months. This is what we're doing. This is how we're handling it. We all shared information. Um, and so none of us felt left out of the loop. You know, we, we always think about like managing down, um, but it's like, we're anxious too. And yeah. so um, having the information coming from the very top um, made me feel reassured that they were doing everything that they could mm -hmm. for the state and for all of us. And um, so I think it's, it's lessened a lot, you know, as we've begun to open up, but I think there's still a lot of concern about what's going to happen. We see what's happening all over the country, you know, Florida, Texas, uh, Arizona, are, and California are just being battered by this. Um, and, you know, you don't know uh, what's going to happen with it. And so we, we have to continue to stay really cautious. And how did, how did your team cope? Because obviously your, your team are at the forefront of crisis. So they're used to being in a crisis and being, my guess is, the, the calm voice of reason for other yeah. people. But that's very different when you're in it as well. I'm just curious how they managed their own mental health through this process when they well, were just as impacted by it as, as the people around them. We've done a lot over the years um, focusing on self-care and vicarious trauma and we have had a lot of training in that and so the staff recognize that you know we appreciate that their jobs are very difficult and that they um, also suffer I mean I'm a former um, special victims prosecutor and when I was doing that in the late 80s and through the 90s we had no idea what that meant and you know the way that most people coped with the vicarious trauma was to self-medicate or you know act out or you know just not recognize what you were going through at all. Which you know, of course, in hindsight, for everybody was a big mistake. But um, we know so much more about trauma and how trauma, um, you know, how the body processes trauma, how the brain can be changed by trauma. And so we focused a lot on training staff. And then all of these trainings that we're offering our 
advocates, we offer to staff too. Mm -hmm. And so um, they, and every time I communicate with them, first and foremost, I say, your health is paramount to us. Your health, your safety is number one for us. And we are not going to do anything to jeopardize that. And as we were moving through like the reopening phase of what that was going to look like and our plan, we consulted with the staff, we consulted with the unions, you know, um, we made sure that everything, if you go into the office, that we are ready for you um, and for your, your health and safety, you know, physically. Um, but we continue to offer um, the state, the um, Office of Mental Health has a web, or a, uh, I guess it's a website and a phone number that you can call and they have therapists on call. Mm -hmm. um, and so we, anytime we got information from the governor's office that related to getting help and, um, you know, if they needed to talk to somebody, we were sending that information out to them and encouraging them to do it, you know, that there's no shame in any of this. Mm. Um, you know, it's easy when we look at crime victims to say, oh, I, I understand you're going through a tough time. And it's like, you're going through a tough time, too, yeah. um, just in a different way. Yeah. And I think everybody's been on this whole emotional roller coaster, <sighs> haven't they? Where, you know, you have days where you just think that's fine, we're gonna get through this. And then other days where you, you know, grief has just washed over people. And, you know, and, I, and I've had days where I've just thought, oh, you know, how's this gonna end? And then right. other days when you just pick yourself up and you get on with it. And, and it's recognizing that when you're having a down day, you just have to be a bit more gentle with yourself, don't you? And we've encouraged that too, like the emails that I send out to them, especially in the beginning was really about, you know, your, and exactly how it was described. This is a roller coaster. You know, we don't even understand this thing. It's very scary. It's, we can't see it. And, um, you know, it's okay to feel afraid. It's okay to feel anxious. It's okay. You know, you have a lot of stresses on you. Your kids' schools closed. Your daycares closed. You know, you can't see your mother. Um, they're all things that you know the 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 go-to things for you are not there. You know, you couldn't. You were afraid to go to the doctor um, if you felt sick. You didn't want to go to the hospital. And and um, I mean, there were a long time when I was not sleeping or I was having terrible dreams and really vivid dreams and so i would share that with people you know and say look we're all going through this you know it's not just you you're not alone um there's no shame in feeling afraid of this yeah. because this is scary <laughs> and it's unprecedented and and it's um, so it's so important isn't it to be able to to say that it's scary and that and that there is no shame in, you know, struggling with it. What, so what, what have you learned from the last few months that you want to take forward into how you lead the organization? I have learned that we are resilient and that we are strong, um, that my staff care very much about the work that they do and that paramount for them was making sure that crime victims in New York were being assisted and 
I have learned as a manager that, um, you know, being flexible on certain things that you're unsure about um, is okay. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, trying something new um, may end up being a blessing in disguise. And, um, you know, that I have a lot of young people that work for me and, you know, they think differently about work and um, they think differently on work-life balance. You know, when, when I was coming up as a young attorney, that didn't exist, you know. Um, you didn't have a choice. You didn't voice <laughs> your opinion about it. You just did it. Um, and they have a much healthier attitude, I think, about work's place in their life. Mm -hmm. And that given, you know, look, you can give everyone enough rope and then they decide, you know, if they want to pull back or not. Um, and, you know, it's okay to let it out a little bit and say, you know what, I trust you um, and I'm going to let you try. And, um, you know, I, I think um, the all the different kinds of technology that are available to us that we never um, took advantage of, like the fact that you, you're in England, I'm in New York, and we're having this video conversation like, why wasn't I doing this with my family even, you yeah. know, that um, I have family that lives all there. over the place. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, we were doing texting or phone calls and this is so much better. And so, you know, trying to really think far more creatively about how to use this um, in a way that really keeps us connected in a very um, uncertain time when... Um, you know, we were always relying on the same, the same tools that we'd always used. And, yeah. you know, now, wow, this is so much better. So do you think that moving forward, you're likely to be more flexible or try new things more readily? Not suggesting you didn't before, because I know you are someone that does, but I'm just wondering if there's even more of that available to you now. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, I, I mean, I'm sorry that we got thrust into it, but in a way, maybe that's the way that it needed to happen. You know, it was kind of jumping into the deep end of the pool <laughs> and figuring out, you know, how you were going to swim. Um, I might not have, have done it this quickly. I might have been a lot more um, cautious about going into it. And, you know, in a way now we see what works and what doesn't work or what we need, what we don't need. And um, we are absolutely going to implement a lot of these changes um, permanently into our structure. And, you know, the other thing is we have a lot of union um, involvement because a lot of our staff are civil service. And, you know, there's always this perception that it's them against us. You know, it's management against unions. And um, we've worked really well with them. And, you know, they were understandably concerned about their um, members' health and safety. And so we've been really transparent with them, too. We shared our safety plan for reopening. Um, we have biweekly calls with them. So, um, you know, 
kind of enrolling them in the vision of what we were doing was also a plus because then they can can manage expectations and fears on the side of their members that's only beneficial to us. So um, there's been a lot of lessons learned um, during this pandemic and um, you know, man, I want to go out to a restaurant <laughs> really badly <laughs> and sit down and order dinner, but that's not going to happen. So I think, you know, we're just going to have to continue to um, stay open-minded to how we evolve in this. And, you know, and I'm thinking that in a lot of ways, some of the, um, we've been working with some of our sister agencies um, who deal with things like domestic violence because um, there was big concern about domestic violence victims during the pandemic that they were not able to get the help or the resources that they needed. So we've been involved in working with them on that. And, um, you know, it, it's really opened up our eyes to some things that maybe we weren't thinking about. So despite this being a terrible event, um, it has opened us up um, to new ideas and ways of doing things that I think we will continue. Yeah, and, and, and I know you were always very collaborative, but what I'm hearing is even more of that collaboration and more of that working together and communicating so that, that ultimately people are supported. Yeah, like, you know, you're thinking about ways, well, people aren't getting out, so where are they getting information? So um, we started working with our um, New York State Agriculture Department um, to maybe work with the food banks to get our information into the food that's being delivered to people. Because I was doing food delivery for older people um, at the height of the pandemic. And I was thinking, hmm, you know, people can't go out, um, but so how are they getting things while they're getting food delivered? Oh, well, this is a way that we can um, get information to them or resources to them if they can't get out, you know? So it's just like all those um, opportunities, you know, that, and we've been doing a lot of online webinars. I did one with um, the, the man who was uh, then the head of the um, Department of Veterans Services. And we did a webinar that was broadcast um, to the veterans and the active uh, duty members in New York, like with the National Guard and stuff. Um, about all these resources that are available um, to them if, you know, a lot of times they don't want to report to um, their base, you know, they don't want to, they're afraid they're going to lose their job, but there's all these victim advocates out there that can serve them. So, you know, we did those kinds of things. Um, we partnered with the State University of New York um, on some federal legislation that was going to affect sexual assault survivors and so we've just been thinking, okay, we can't do things the way that we've been doing them. So how are we going to do them? And, yeah, you've just um, thrown the box away like, and thought outside of it. Yeah, it's just been sort of a, a weirdly creative time too, because you can't do it the way you normally do it. And I think there's great, there's great learning from that, isn't there, in terms of really recognizing how creative we can be when we're right up against the wall. We, you know, we come out with new ideas and new ways of working so yeah that's yeah great. i agree with that I, I think we 
sometimes silo ourselves or we get used to doing things the way that we've been doing them. And um, then when you get thrust into this situation, you say, okay, I have to do things differently. You know, yeah. I don't have a choice. Um, but so what am I going to think of that's going to be effective mm. and that's going to reach people um, during this time, you know, and if we go back into lockdown, now we know, you know, what's been working yeah. and how we can reach people. So we'll be prepared for this or, you know, God forbid, another one. I hear there's bubonic plague out there now or swine flu or something else terrible. There'll um, be another crisis behind it, but at least right, is, exactly. we're prepared and we know we've got the skills to navigate it. And I think that that's one of the things that is reassuring, you know, that we did it. Mm. And this was like horrible um, and scary. And yet we did it. You know, we kept doing our jobs. We got people the tools they needed. We stayed in touch with people and, um, and victims got, you know, the, their reimbursement programs got funded. Um, information was relayed. And, and so um, we were successful. And, um, you know, pretty much without missing a beat, which was pretty astounding to me. Yeah. Well, Elizabeth, it's been fascinating, as always, to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time today. Well, I'm so grateful for the opportunity um, to talk with you again, because I love what you're doing. I'm really inspired by it. And, um, you know, I, I think a lot of the issues that we're dealing with are similar Mm -hmm. um, in, you know, how people respond to certain things like, like working with horses and, you know, we're always looking at different ways of providing services to people that reach them in whatever way, mm -hmm. um, they can accept them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Have a great day. Yeah, you too. Elizabeth is one of many leaders who have had to adapt rapidly to working remotely. What makes her work different to many, though, is the fact that her team are on the front line supporting victims of crime whilst dealing with the trauma of the COVID-19 pandemic on themselves and their own families. The resilience and fortitude needed to do this work is beyond my comprehension. How do you build resilience and fortitude in your team so you can adapt quickly, not just to COVID-19, but other disruptive change in the future? That's it for this podcast. I was your host, Jude Jennison, founder of Leaders by Nature, helping leaders and teams lead with courage and compassion to accelerate growth in a way that makes a difference in the world. You can find out more at www.judejennison.com and you can find me on all the usual social media channels. Until next week, keep leading and I'll be back soon with another interview on Rethinking Leadership. Mm -hmm.